Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Thank you for joining us in worship together here at Quest today. Two weeks from today, I'll be back and we get to kick off the PG series. I hope you enjoyed today's preview of it. And when you get home today, take the time to like the video, share it, comment on it with some excitement and tag your friends you want to invite to join you here for the series here at Quest. Quest is pushing these previews on social media to advertise, but you doing the simple act of liking and sharing and commenting and tagging, you can make the effectiveness of what we're doing triple or more in impact. So check your Facebook at 1 p.m. today, pray for your friends and the community, and do your magic by helping out. Now, would you give a big round of applause and welcome to the stage, Braden Dissinger. Braden is an IT manager who has also been a teaching, preaching pastor in a church plant in the past. I love Braden's heart for prayer and knowing God, and I'm confident you will be blessed by his fresh voice as he shares with you today. So, Braden, it's your turn to speak and model for us all here today what, that, that it's our turn for each and every one of us to take off in God. Come on, give him a great big warm welcome. Good morning, Quest. How are you today? Awesome. Awesome. It's great to be here with you this morning, and it's an honor to have the chance to fill in alongside some other folks as Ross takes a much-needed break. I hope that he and his family are able to get some rest and that they come back refreshed after having spent time together and in the Lord while they're away. I trust that you've enjoyed the last two weeks with Doug and Mary as much as I have uh, as we are progressing in our current series, Your Turn. Two weeks ago, Doug got us started, and if you remember, he touched on forgetting what was behind, how we needed to leave behind our identity in this world, our habitual sins, uh, abuse, our failures, our regrets, how we need to leave those behind and move into Christ. And then Mary spoke about pressing through. She described lessons from letters, things that we needed to press through, whether it's our tendency to be hurt, to join in accusations, legalism and assumed familiarity or discouragement, how we press through those in faith into ministry with others. Today we're picking up in the next segment, Taking Hold, and we're going to continue out of Philippians, specifically chapter 3. As we get started, let's open with prayer. Father, thank you for a chance to come together as your church, to come together to worship you. We pray that as we open scripture that uh, you give us minds to understand your word, and that you change our hearts. Amen. A while back, I was cleaning out some of the clutter that had accrued in my wallet, and, uh, and I found that I used to have this card uh, for the Pizza King in Gas City, Indiana. Now, I realize that many of you probably haven't made it to the Gas City Pizza King. That's okay. All you need to know is that that was a place that was off campus where hungry college kids could go, pull some money together, and eat a large quantity of pizza. And uh, over the years, my friends and I, we frequented the Pizza King enough that each of us were given a card that entitled us upon showing it to a lifetime of free breadsticks. It was pure gold to a college student. 
And what I discovered while I was cleaning out my wallet was that for years I had been carrying this card. Long after I had moved away from Gas City, I was still entitled to those free breadsticks. But I wasn't about to drive three hours to go collect them. Living here in Columbus, that card had no impact on my life. Conversely, there's another card in my wallet. It's still there today. I didn't throw it out. And it's for the Columbus Zoo. Anybody been to the zoo this summer? Yeah? It's awesome. Uh, a few years ago, my family, we started getting the annual membership because our kids loved it so much. And so uh, it's, it's not uncommon for us to, on a given weekend, pack up the kids, drive over to Powell, and spend a few hours walking around and watching the animals. Simply being in possession of that membership it's altered aspects of our lives. Today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to live a life which Christ has taken hold of. How our lives should be impacted by the gospel. How the rhythms and the routines should be changed and disrupted by what we read in scripture. The gospel shouldn't be sitting in our wallet like a pizza king card. No, instead it should be an active use like a Zoom membership. And we're going to dig into scripture to figure out how we get to that conclusion. Read with me in chap chapter 3 of Philippians. We're going to start in verse 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a lot going on in these few verses, so let's get started, and we're going to clarify two pronouns, it and this. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. We're jumping in midstream with Paul in his letter. So let's talk briefly about some context so that we know what he's talking about when he's using it and this. We're going to do this by going back two verses to verses 10 and 11 to get some context. Look with me. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What we see Paul talking about just before our passage today is the end of this life. Resurrection from the dead with ensuing power through Christ's resurrection. Do you see that? This is vital for us to understand as we look at verses 12, 13, and on. Paul is explicitly talking about the afterlife. What happens to us after our life in this world ends. So, let's go back. We're going to reread verse 12, but we're going to throw in some substitutions for those pronouns. Not that, I have, not that I am already dead in this world and subsequently alive with Christ after, but I press on to make that afterlife my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own by his death and resurrection. That sounds a little weird, right? We're left scratching our heads just a bit. What's Paul talking about here? Paul's saying something to us which we cannot allow to slip by. We need to catch this today. 
Namely, that the full consummation, the full completion of our salvation is when we are resurrected from the dead and we are found alive and in the presence and the power of the Almighty God. That is the goal. Let that sink in for a moment. You're here. I see you. I haven't put too many of you to sleep quite yet. You're sitting there. You're living. You're breathing. And this may be uncomfortable to think about. But at some point, that state of existence will stop. You will no longer be alive in the sense that you are right now in this world. Think about that for a moment. It's sometimes troubling to confront the reality of our own death, isn't it? So what about postmortem? What's next in the timeline? Assuming that you've found your salvation in Jesus Christ, you will then find yourself resurrected from the death of this world and alive again. But not just alive, living and breathing like what we're doing right now. No, no, I mean truly alive. Living in glory. Alive like we've never seen before. Alive in a way that we can't even begin to comprehend right now. Alive in a way that we are fully complete as a creation of God. That is something we can never experience this side of eternity. Do you see it? Do you see what living like that would be? Living in Christ, in perfection with the Creator? Paul, he's talking about the end of this life and the culmination of our salvation in the next. It's very important that we grasp this. I'd be remiss if I didn't point back to the beginning of the book of Philippians while we're on this topic. In chapter 1, verse 6, we see, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What we see here is that Christians are citizens of the future. Our identity isn't in this life. No, our identity is in Christ, and it results in joining him after this life in a fullness of glory. We are pointed to the future. It does not stop here. The author of Hebrews helps to make this clear. Chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Strangers and exiles on the earth. As Christians, we find ourselves a bit out of place because of our future orientation. Now, this future orientation, it has something attached to it. Oftentimes, we we think about taking hold of something in an active sense. It's under our own steam that we take hold of something. And that's a very American approach, right? Pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, being a self-made individual, do it yourself. But Paul, he wants to show us something different in this passage. Going back to verses 12 12 through 14, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We sometimes look at that first part in isolation. I press on to make it my own. It's me. I have to do this. I have to own it. But aren't we forgetting something when we look at it like that? 
Look at the second half. Because, because, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Take a moment and think about the depths of that phrase. Savor that. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Me. I am his. He has taken hold of me. This causes us to flip the sequence around to see what's going on. We could state it differently. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own, I press on to make it my own. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that it moves us into him, we are able to claim our future in him. So stick with me here. Keep looking at the text. Paul, he's giving us an indication that, yes, he is still alive and breathing just like we are right now. He says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. At the time of writing, he was still in this life. He wasn't in glory just yet. And here he's using some athletic imagery. He's forgetting what lies behind. He's straining forward to what lies ahead. He's pressing on for the prize of the goal of the call of God. He wants it. He desires that end so desperately. He's ready. The words, they're jumping off the page at us. He isn't just moseying along here. He isn't out just running some weekend errands and, oh, he happens to bump into an afterlife filled with the glory of God. So that's what's happening here. He's straining for it. And because of that straining for the resulting glory in Christ, it begins to drive other things. It begins to inform and influence other aspects of this life. You'll notice that Paul, he doesn't stop talking after he's gone on about the future glory of life in Christ. He continues on. He has more to say. Read further with me in chapter 3. We're going to look at 15 through 21. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Here we see Paul showing us how the reality of future glory in Christ, it creates a practical impact on the present. We have been taken hold of by Christ. Therefore, we are empowered to take hold of him. And as we take hold of him, our lives are changed. There is no middle ground. There is no standing still. So let's break this down. Let's go back to verses 15 through 16. Here we see Paul outlining the regenerative nature of obedience to Christ's commands. Maturity in a relationship with Christ is evident by continued and escalating obedience to Christ's commands. Paul, he's appealing to the Philippians here that they should gain in their spiritual knowledge. This knowledge should then translate into their actions, becoming more and more like Christ. 
the other day I was playing with my two-year-old daughter and she paused for a moment to hold up both of her hands and she held out her left at me and she said, left! And then she held out her right and she said, right! And the whole time she had this huge smile on her face and she was obviously quite proud of, of having learned which hand was which. And I gushed with enthusiasm. I was applauding and praising her for having successfully learned her left from her right. And we shared this joyful moment together. It was a lot of fun. What I want you to do is play that out 16 years in the future. Let's assume that she has average cognitive development patterns and she finds herself as an average 18-year-old. And she's graduating from high school. It's graduation day. She's about to walk and receive her diploma. And before she's about to go up there and, and get her diploma, she finds me. And she holds out both of her hands and she says, left, right, right? And, you know, I get really excited. I'm smiling. I'm telling her how smart she is, how she's done such a wonderful job learning her left from her right. That's broken, right? We wouldn't expect an, an average 18-year-old who's about to receive a high school diploma, to still be getting pumped up about knowing their left from their right. That's two-year-old material. She should be moving on to something bigger and better. She shouldn't be staying in the same spot. The same is true of the Christian life. And that's what Paul's reminding us of here. It's not just enough to say the words, repeat the prayers. No, he's pointing out that the Christian must submit themselves to the word of God. And by that submission, they should then find themselves emerging in growing obedience to what Christ calls us to do. As Christians, we should be growing in our obedience more and more. As sin and as truth are revealed to us, it should subsequently result in a change in action. Paul continues in verses 17 through 19. And here he's giving us a sobering example of what happens when one does not live a life in obedience to Christ. Verse 19 is chilling. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This is an example of the unrepentant heart. This is a person who finds glory in things that God finds shameful. Their mind is set on earthly things. They aren't focused on the future. They're focused on the here and now. Their end is destruction. The result is made clear. Paul continues in 20 through 21. And he redirects us right back to where we started. We are citizens of the future. We await our Savior. On that day, we will be transformed into glory and our salvation will be complete. The future is the goal. Ignoring the distractions along the way, whether it's ritualistic religion or the accomplishments and comforts of this life, exactly what Doug was talking about two weeks ago, forgetting what is behind Christ in us has changed us to be people of the future. We take hold of that future because Christ has taken hold of us. This is the part where it's difficult to stand in front of you today. Because I'm forced to consider my own life. I'm forced to deal with what I feel. 
Am I living what I'm talking about? I'm confronted with the fact that scripture is disruptive to our lives. But that disruption, it's largely a matter of perspective. When I look at what I'm called to be in Christ, but I only view it through the finite window of this life, yes, it's highly disruptive. I'll be forced to change a bunch of my habits. How I spend my time, my money, it probably looks a lot different. My interest in superficial hobbies probably goes away. Maybe I need to put my career on hold and focus on my spiritual life. Maybe I need to say no to other commitments so that I can focus more sharply on discipling my children. With the perspective of a finite time frame, yes, that is highly disruptive. And if you happen to make any changes because of the disruption of scripture, the rest of the world often just stares at you. They have no frame of reference for such actions. To them, it appears as folly. To you, it may appear as folly when first considered. I know it does to me when I first look at it through that, time, through that perspective. But we have to remember, as Christians, we are citizens of the future. Shift the perspective. How does your lifespan here on earth stack up against eternity? How does your finite time in this world begin to compare to an infinite life in glory, one that is redeemed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It doesn't begin to compare. This is something that's been at the, the forefront of my mind recently. How much am I pursuing the world versus how much am I pursuing a life in Christ? Not too long ago, I watched a, a series of events unfold in my life that demonstrate what I'm talking about. In a few weeks, uh, our oldest is going to start preschool. And it's nothing huge. Two days a week, a couple hours in the morning, not a big deal. But a little while ago, while we were going through the paperwork and the enrollment and everything, I was struck by this change. I realized that this is the last slice of time for the rest of his life where he's going to be under full-time instruction from my wife and I. He's going to go to preschool, where he'll be taught by teachers. At least I think that's what they do. And then it's kindergarten, elementary school, and it's on from there until he's out from under my roof. And I realized how little precious time I have to disciple my children before they leave my home. As their father, scripture calls me to lead them. I am the most tangible representation of their heavenly father simply by being their earthly father. And in that moment of reflection that I had, <clears throat> God revealed to me how much time I had squandered in guiding and shaping them spiritually so far. It was a sobering moment. It still is. As I pressed into that, I felt guided towards the basics, teaching them prayer and scripture reading. They're two and, and almost four, and they need to be constantly introduced to the basics at this point in their life. So I started a routine with them at bedtime. First, we start out by praying that God will teach us truth through scripture and that it'll change our hearts. Very similar to how we started today. We then read a, a short story from their picture Bible. And then we finish by praying again to thank God for some simple truth that we learned in the story that we just read. 
I wanted them to learn to approach Scripture with the intent that the Holy Spirit will help them to comprehend the words and that it would move their hearts to be changed. Now, most nights it's, it's very basic. Thank you, God, that Noah trusted you when he built the ark. Simple things. Nothing that's theologically profound, nothing earth-shattering. But the intent is to start to actively demonstrate to my children that my life has been changed by what I see in Scripture, and theirs can be as well. Now, I tell you that story not to proclaim that I've got this whole parenting thing or, or discipling of children thing figured out. That's not the point at all. The point is to show a very simple and brief glimpse into what being taken hold of by Jesus and how it has in turn caused me to take hold. Doing that every night is not the easiest thing. It takes time. Time that I'd rather be spending doing other things sometimes. There's often a toddler meltdown in the middle of it. Last night was a perfect example. Sometimes their attention span is short. Really, really short. (laughs) There are all kinds of reasons not to do it. But I can't escape what's been laid on my heart. One of my primary responsibilities in this life is to show Christ to my children. To show it to them early and often. Scripture not only affirms that, it demands it from me. Scripture demands that I change my life. Even now I'm realizing the next step in the progression that I want them to see from it. I want to continue to lead them in that environment, but I also want them to observe me engaging in the same fashion on my own. I want them to, to happen to walk by as I sit there with scripture open, asking the Lord to continue to change my life. I want them to see tangible proof that my life is continually being changed. I mentioned before that this subject makes it hard for me to stand up here. To be clear, I'm, I'm talking to myself today. This world, it has its hooks in me. I often worry about the things of this lifetime much more than I'd care to admit. My job, my bank account, my possessions, my reputation, whatever it is. I often forget where my citizenship is. I forget to take hold of Christ because he has already taken hold of me. I forget that what we read in scripture, what we experience as we engage further with Jesus, that it results in a changed life. We work on discipling our children because of it. We engage with our neighbors. We talk to our coworkers. We talk to our family worker, family members because of it. We have been taken hold of and it causes us to look around the world around us as we reach out to take hold. As the worship team comes back up, my question for you today is simple. Where are you right now in the process of taking hold? Are you at the beginning and you simply need to acknowledge that Jesus has taken hold of you? If so, don't leave today without doing that. Maybe you've already acknowledged that Jesus has taken hold of you, but you've forgotten where your citizenship is. 
Maybe you've been taken hold of by Jesus and right now you're standing strong and you are reaching out to take hold. That's awesome. That's exciting. We should celebrate that. But everyone is somewhere on the spectrum. Where are you and where do you need to move to? I mentioned it earlier. I'll say it again. Scripture is disruptive to our lives. Maybe you're squirming a bit in your seat today. That's okay. I'm uncomfortable too. Trust that the perceived disruption to your life, that it's only folly in the eyes of the world. Remember that the subsequent transformation of your life is of infinite value in the eyes of Christ. Today we're celebrating communion. In the upper room, Jesus told his disciples, this is, this is my body broken for you when he described the bread. This is my blood poured out for you. Jesus died for you. He took hold of you. As you reflect on communion today, will you reach out to take hold of him as well? Please join us. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.